Welcome to the AvGeeks Assemble podcast. and welcome to episode eight of season two of the AvGeeks Assemble podcast. I'm your host, Rob, and with me this evening is Ant. Ant, how are you doing? Hello. Yes, I'm good. How are you? Wonderful stuff. Not bad, not bad. And joining us tonight is Tim. Hello. How are you, Tim? I'm doing all right, mate. Yep. And join us again for two pods in a row, Mike. Mike, how are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, mate. You? Yeah, not bad, not bad. So I wanted to start this pod um, just to sort of thank everyone over on Facebook who's been joining in with the daily theme post uh, from last month. Uh, different plane every day. We had some really good interaction on that. Some great, uh, some interesting interpretations as we've gone through. Um, so thanks for that. And it, we are doing it again this month. Uh, this month it is Nations. So uh, throw your different planes from your different nations in there. Obviously, we've tried to squeeze in as many nations as we can, but there are only so many you can fit into 31 days. So uh, we've done our best, um, but... Rest assured, any we've missed will come up again in a future one going forward. So I, th- I thought we'd begin um, just having a bit more of a, a roundup of some of the the later airshow announcements, more particularly uh, Riyadh and Cosford. Um, obviously, Riyadh have announced that the Reds are going to be joining. Um, the German NH90 is now going to be joining, and they're sort of started beefing up their uh, static display, including one of the uh, Hawker Hunter Aviation Hunters joining this year, which is quite exciting. How are we look at what we think about that? don't mind those sort of announcements to be honest nice. yeah it's looking good it's looking good it's i think they're just they're just starting to build up steam now aren't they they've they had a few a few flying announcements a few um a few statics over the last uh, week or so although i think certain certain display teams sort of forced their hand didn't they with uh, making their own announcements outside mm-hmm. of the the thursday midday window that react likes to likes to use but yeah no it's 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 shaping up to be a good one i just just hope there's um a lot more um flying and fantastic displays coming up in the long while to go yeah yeah long while to go but yeah i mean on on that also uh uh, cosford looks like it's uh, getting a jump on it as well they've announced they've also announced the reds um and the typhoon display team i imagine the typhoon display team bit react as well um, but obviously, you know, in the fullness of time, they'll probably give us a big RAF update as they tend to do, don't they? Mm. Um, they like to do big announcements by nation every now and then. So, looking forward to that. Yeah, Cosford's um, Cosford's actually doing really well this year with its announcements. They're coming thick and fast. There seems to be one in the middle of the week being announced and one at the weekend, um, which is uh, which is nice to see. But the good the thing with Cosford is if if people have never been before, they they. They don't really have visiting aircraft for static display because I don't know if you know Cosford at all. The runway is just too short. It's just not, it's barely long enough to land a Hercules on. So some of, some of the other like fast jets and things like that that you, that you want to have on static display, it just, just can't have. So what they do is, luckily enough, they've got the Midlands, um, which used to be known as the Cosford Air Museum, RAF Museum. Um, it's now called the Midlands RAF Museum. They just roll stuff out of there. It's great. <laughs> it's just, the amount of stuff that's in there is brilliant. Yeah, they've got um, some nice so, stuff in there, haven't they? Yeah, mm. it's good to it's good to it's it, for anyone that goes on like 
non-air show days, which is the majority of the year, obviously. Um, it's nice to see that stuff outside in a, a different setting. But yeah, the amount of stuff they've announced. I mean, today, Royal Jordanian Vulcans were announced today uh, at the time that we're recording this podcast. So that's great. I mean, you, you can you can see the influence of the new air show director there that used to work at Riyadh. You, you can see that he's pulling some contacts in, which is great news. Um, so you've got the Vulcans, um, which I always think look a little bit lost at Riyadh because of the size mm. of the crowd line at Riyadh. But at Cosford, they'll be perfect because, like mm. I said, really short runway. The crowd line's probably half, if that, the length of Riyadh. Um, so, yeah. Um, what else for Truy Swiss as well? We said last yeah, time. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's They've never been to Cosford before. So you can see the influence he's having in that role, that he's got all these contacts from Riyadh that he – will hopefully make um, make splashes at Cosford with and uh, make it into, uh, it was never not a premier air show, but a more premium air show with more exciting displays than, than they've had of previous years. Yeah. I, I last went to Cosford, what would it have been? 2017, 2018, some, some time around there. And I think it was the size that, that drew me to it. You know, it, was, it wasn't massive. Mm. Um, but it wasn't tiny, and it, and it it still drew enough, you know, decent stuff to make it a really really good day. Yeah, and and like you just said there, all that static stuff that's usually inside, they they wheel outside, and you've got a really nice, you know, line of nine or ten jacks. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's just stuff you don't really see anywhere else. Yeah, yeah, you've got all all the all different Cold War stuff, um, like different Harriers there, loads of different Tonkers they've got there that they wheel out um, loads of warbirds from the warbird hangar as well that come outside for that. Um, and, and it was well supplemented with helicopters last year as well. They had uh, historic helicopters bring up uh, a few different things. Um, they've already got like a Wessex up there, so they brought a Seeking for the static. Um, and then obviously the Lynx was displaying. So, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's shaping up to be a really good cost with this year because they're going to have a full 12 months to to plan it and organise it whereas last year they were on a bit of a truncated timetable so yeah really looking forward to that yeah I mean it's, it's my first one so I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing the, the static stuff they've got there at the museum mm. and because I've never been to the museum either um, but yeah I mean the, the flying is shaping up to be really good and, and I mean seeing things like the uh, Sally B is always good I mean, yeah yeah I mean one, one thing I will say and, and this goes for, for yourself and obviously anyone listening to the podcast is if you've never been to Cosford before it's 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 not the easiest site to get in and out of. You will spend some time queuing up getting in, and you will spend a lot more time queuing up getting out because there's literally two entrances, mm. um, and the surrounding roads aren't the best. So if you can if you can deal with the, what the the way I deal with it is as soon as the flying stops, I go and look around the statics again and, and around the hangars uh, as yeah. people are filtering out, uh, and then if I've got the kids with me, put them on the fun fair for a little bit, let them have a few rides and whatnot, and then by the time I'm back to the car, I'm only sat still for about. 15 20 minutes or something which you can live with but some people they're trying to leave as soon as the red arrows displayed at three o'clock in the afternoon you still mm. got two hours of a display the whole airfield is basically a car park so you're just sitting there in your car watching the last two hours of the display and then people like go online and start writing reviews oh, yeah it was an okay air show but couldn't get out it took me three hours to get out well Maybe if you stay to the end and watch all of the displays and take in all the sights and sounds of the museum and the hangars, then, uh, yeah, you wouldn't piss yourself off with three hours of sitting in a car. 
so yeah, just bear that in mind if you come in, because uh, it's not the show's fault that the site is as uh, as limited as it is for access. So just bear yeah, that in I'll, mind. I'll keep that in mind. I mean, it can't be as bad as spending two hours stuck in the north side of Duxford. But yeah, so moving on from that, let's let's talk about the uh, the one that's in vogue at the minute. Cobra Warrior. I know, Mike, you've spent some time up there and, and you're going up there next week, I believe. Yes. Some nice looking planes are coming, haven't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been a good uh, good few days. It started, well, say it, it's not actually started yet. It starts Monday, it's first exercise day. So tomorrow as we're recording this on Sunday night. Um, so I went down on last Wednesday for the arrivals at Waddington. And yeah, we had all sorts. It was, it was, it was a brilliant day. I was stood down the down the twenty end near the um, near the wave uh, the viewed enclosure, and um, you know aircraft was landing the opposite end. But from experience and you know fingers crossed hunches, we we're hoping that everything would taxi all the way down, and most of it did. So we had uh, Belgian F-16s, including two two nice um, two nice special tails with the X Tiger, and I forget which what the other one is now. Um, I'm sure somebody will. <laughs> the new F thirty five transition tail, isn't it? Yeah, yes, that's the one. But yeah. On the on the flip side of it, I know I know a lot of people have sort of moaned a little bit about the the, the fact there's an F thirty five on the sixteen tail. But on the other side, because it's obviously talking about the future on that side. But on the other side of the tail, it says proud past, and it's got a it picture does, of a yeah. Spitfire on that side. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, it's chalk it's and cheese. Whole heritage. I, yeah, yeah, I prefer the Spitfire side, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got what else did we get? We got you know. Finnish F-18s, which I had not seen before, um, and then various support aircraft, Indian C-17s we had in. That was quite nice. Again, just just a grey C-17, but it's got some Indian markings on it, nothing fancy. Uh, from uh, from Finland, we also had a Learjet. That was really nice, actually. Um, proper clean, considering I think it's about a 40-year-old um, <laughs> airframe. Looked nice really, paint job. Yeah, looked really sleek and clean and modern. Um, I think the Finns also sent a um, basically a civvy twin prop transport. I, somebody will know what that was, but I can't remember. Um, and then in obviously it was freezing cold and wet that day as well. So we'd heard obviously all the stuff about the mirages, Indian mirages that were coming over. Were they coming? Weren't they coming? Um, we'd heard that they got airborne and then turned back because there was a problem with their tanker. Um, so a lot of people left sort of mid-afternoon, including myself. Um, so the, the mirages did turn up, but they didn't turn up until I think it was getting on for six o'clock, um, maybe even a bit later. So it was pretty much dark. Um, still some pretty decent photos though around of that. So yeah, hopefully I'm going again tomorrow. So I will get to see them in daylight. It's like Fingers crossed, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It did look a bit miserable and a bit dull when uh, that IL seventy eight and the uh, Mirage is turned up. To be fair, from the yeah. photos I've seen, I mean, to be fair, like fair play to the people who've stuck it out and stayed there for the whole day. But that when, when the light's gone like that, there's really not much you can do, is there? <laughs> no, there's not. I mean, it was about half past two ish when the F 18s came in, and there was, it was a running joke by that time of day that every time. Um, aircraft came in it would rain and it pretty much did because it was quite changeable yeah so we'd get a few minutes of sunshine and then you'd see you know aircraft starting to approach and then the black clouds would roll in from behind and it would start raining and when those f-18s came in it was it was coming down um, yeah but yeah fair play to those those guys and girls that stuck around for the uh mirages and the yeah, il-78 yeah. that was that was not for me um but yeah if um if anyone is coming down 
So the the um, the Wave car park is open and should be open from about half past seven every morning. And they've got a um, a food truck in there now, which I believe is the old one from Coningsby. So um, that's obviously found a new home, which is nice. And um, just yeah, be obviously mindful that it's going to be busy, so it will fill up um, really early on. And um, I think even when I was there on last Wednesday for arrivals, it was getting pretty full by 9, 9.30. Um, there is a bit of an overflow next door. If you go just beyond the wave, there's an entrance to a um, basically a Lincolnshire Fire Brigade training area. Um, if you go in there, there's some hard standing. It basically looks like it's in the middle of a field. So obviously pay careful attention to obviously not going on the field because we don't want to um, annoy our local farmers, keep them nice and happy. Um, that's it for down that end. Obviously, you, you'll probably need a step ladder to see over the uh, the hedge. And if you're thinking of going down the other end, there's not very many places to park at all, unfortunately, because it's nearly all been um, sort of coned off. Um, but we have obviously on the on the Facebook page, we've got a uh, Cobra Warrior thread going, so we'll put any information on there that we can find that's helpful for people that want to go down that end. So, any questions you want to ask, ask away on there, and we'll uh, we'll do our best to answer definitely. Yeah, good stuff, mate. I mean, I'm I'm pl- personally planning on getting there for on Wednesday, like after we record this. So, um, but I'll be aiming to be getting there at half seven in the morning when it opens. To be fair, because. Uh, you don't want to drive all that way. <laughs> There's nowhere to park. Or well, you've got to park in the nearest town and walk two miles with a stepladder and a heavy camera bag. It's mm-hmm. not what you want. <laughs> yeah, and the, so, the other day I got there at just after eight and it was probably half full. So that, yeah. that gives you an idea. of. Um, Although possibly the weather might put people off this week. Maybe yeah, not. It, it doesn't look good. It's yeah. going to be... Uh, it's going to be very cold. cold. Yeah, which I can live with, but I know some fair weather spotters don't like so much. <laughs> no. So, but yeah, if um, if people want to come down, by all means, come down. Um, just like you would do anywhere else, just be sensible about it. It's on the side of a main road. If you stood down runway twenty, <laughs> runway twenty, um, a really busy road at that. So again, just lots of care and attention. Look out for each other as well, because um, you do see people trying to do silly things as we do at all at all bases. So um, yeah, have have a good time. Yeah, is, so, is, is the message sound, sound advice, mate? Because when I was there in September for the last uh, Cobra Warrior in uh, last year, um, yeah, that that road was absolute chaos through the day. Some people were just looking at the back of the camera. Oh, look at the shots of Courtman wandering out into the road. I mean, luckily, others were looking out for them and thought, "What are you doing?" So, um, yeah, yeah, I think it has got a temporary speed limit on it actually at the minute of thirty, so it's down from. Is it normally 60, 60 along there? Oh, 60. 50, 50, I think it's 50 or 60, one of those. Um, yeah. So it's quite it's quite a drop down. So, again, locals might not realise. Yeah. I think, um, to be fair, um, it, it seems like um, Waddington are, are, are prepared for this and they've they've kind of gone out and sort of said, well, you know, they're going to oh, be spotters. Yeah. Let's try and make it as safe as possible for everyone involved. Well, and, and that's what that's what you want from the base, isn't it? You 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 want them to you want them to be proactive instead of trying to be reactive after the event. Yeah. I mean, they know. I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, Belgian F-16s and Finnish F-18s are going to draw a crowd, but when you throw into the mix Indian mirages that no one's seen for in this country for what I don't know, 10, 15 years or more, like it's going to draw a bigger crowd, isn't it? So. 
So, Mike, I just wanted to pick on, up on something you said. Um, you mentioned the uh, a C17 with slightly different markings on, which brings me to the, the latest announcement from the US Air Force Air Mobility Command um, about removing all of the tail numbers and unit markings from their aircraft. So how do we feel about that? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 on social media over the weekend, I think I saw a picture of, I don't know if it was one of ours, it was a C-17, which I'm not sure if it had, it had been to America um, and had come back to Bryce Norton. And it just looked like someone had got some scaffolding out and just got a roller in whatever generic grey paint they could find and gone over the all the everything. And it just looked mm. an absolute state. Um, you know, the, then there's the whole, well, if they're getting rid of all the markings does that, you know, I guess all the nose are at Milton Hall's going to go. You know, that's, yeah, that's, so, that's, you? that's kind of crushing. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, you can sort of it's... almost, uh, you know, when one of the planes is taken off, you can sort of zoom in on the nose and go, oh, that's Miss Irish. You know, saw that two weeks mm. ago. Oh, that's mm. this one. Oh, that's this one. Um, yeah, I've, I don't know the logic or the reasoning behind it. I should imagine someone in an office thought this is a great idea, um, mm. but for photographers or you know spotters and everything, I think it's just crushing. I mean, I think the the yeah. mission, the sort of the official line is it's due to OPSEC, so I can only imagine they're going to be sort of doing more sorties around the NATO countries in the uh, uh, in the sort of response to Ukraine and just don't want to mm. do anything that might antagonise the Russians, I suppose. Yeah, but you can. St- it's not hard to figure out what it is, is it's it? Not, no. No. It's not, no. It, they are still going to have, I think, they, I believe they're going to have some small roundels on it still. Woo-hoo. So it's not going to be completely um, <laughs> unspottable. But, yeah, it just seems a uh, seems yeah, like, so, slightly yeah. odd decision. But So basically, their so, aircraft are going to look like ours. Mm. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We should be used to it by now. But, yeah. no, I mean, the, the only thing that they're supposed to be keeping on is like a slightly lighter grey uh, US Air Force roundel towards the rear quarter of the fuselage and then just uh, an American flag on the tail, and that's it. Mm. Now, so there'll literally like, be no serial numbers, no nothing. No, no, no oh US Air Force God, font half, on the side. Half, half the spotter community have just, like, yeah. keeled over with their notebooks. Mm. Bury but, these with me. <laughs> but but, but the, the, like, like Rob said, the official line coming from the, uh, the general that's made this decision in the Air Mobility Command is is that it's down to OPSEC. It's about operational security. Now, every sort of commentator, source, podcast, uh, Facebook post, Instagram post, anything I've heard about this story in the last few days through the various medias is calling that out to be absolute bullshit, to be honest. Mm. Um, so, okay, if they, wipe, if they wipe everything off the plane... <clears throat> And then, uh, like the other morning, an A400 went over, you know, uh, and I fire up ADSB and you go, oh, it's that one, you know. Exactly. What, are they just going to sort of like not unless, give the uh, information out? Unless they're turning off the transpon- transponders that ADSB yeah. and other, other sites read, then what's the point in doing it? It's a massive waste of resource. But the, the most common consensus that's going around is that it's nothing to do with OPSEC at all. It's just to try and mask uh, the issues they've got with the the fleet within AMC, uh, and the fact that the the Pegasus has turned out to be a complete and utter useless piece of crap. Um, 
uh, and it's hide, it's masking. Well, I wouldn't, the I wouldn't of... say it's totally useless. I mean, it can make good bookends, you know. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure it makes some really good dog food cans. Yeah. It, it, I think. I think more than anything, it's about masking them moving aircraft between units, so that mm. it's not as obvious as to how many aircraft are being moved around. Uh, which, mm, if that's the case, then just come out and say that. It's it's not like it's a secret that they've got an aging fleet of KC-135s that have been flying for 60 years non-stop. They've got KC-46 coming in that's supposedly replacing the KC-10, which has been flying even longer. Um, do you know what I mean? And it's like, well, <laughs> these things aren't secret. No. So, uh, I don't know. It's it's one of them, but it's, it's, it's another thing that appears to just a decision that's obviously going to p- piss off spotters. It's, it's as simple as that. Like It's it's one of the, the small things that we that we enjoy about the hobby is, is, is the, the, the little differences between aircraft, whether it's kill markings or nose art or um, like the, the, the D on the tail for the Mildenhall tankers and the, yeah, little, uh, the little RAF round all above it. Yeah. Um, all these things that, that we enjoy about uh, spotting, whether you're just a spotter with a notepad and writing down serials or you're a spotter with a camera like we are and, and you enjoy taking the photos and trying to catch them in as much detail as possible. It's just, it's another little nail in that coffin unfortunately yeah. as far yeah. as as far as i'm concerned which is it's, it's a sad thing it's like us um, the other day at um at waddington you know we've we'd seen six gray belgian f-16s arrive and then all of a sudden we see down the runway one of them's got a great flash of yellow down the side and you think oh brilliant here we go something different yeah. something a bit more interesting to have a look at and something to you know make our photos more impactful and um yeah, if if all of that goes, then it's a big shame, I think. Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting because I know I, I I'm pretty sure this same headline came out about two or three years ago, and then nothing really happened. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see if it does happen and if it sort of extends over to us over here on because uh, obviously all the the Mildenhall birds have all got their their nose on, which would be a real shame to see go. Um, you know, at the end of the day, a grey plane is a grey plane, and it's not easy. As you say, it's nice to be able to tell the difference. That's part of the joy of spotting, isn't it? To be able to say, "I've seen that one," or "Oh, I haven't seen that one." In a way, I mean, it's, it sounds stupid, but it kind of makes it even more like not personal. But I'm trying to think of like how to put it. But you know, there's there goes a grey KC135. Uh, okay, great. You know, it's still flying. Brilliant. There goes Miss Irish. Oh, cool. You know, still looking immaculate. There goes, what was it? Big ass bird. You know, has it still got, you know, the uh, the crew crew names on the side? You know, um, I just, I just, uh, it's just another, like you say, it's just another nail in the, uh, against the spotters. Grr. <laughs> Grr. It's also, it also can't be any good for, um, you know, crew morale. Because if you think, like you, you just mentioned there, Tim, the, the ones that have got their names on the side. Yeah, that's a good or, point. Or, or, or you know, the 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 crew chiefs that work on these. And I know they're in, the, on, the, on these airframes. Rightly, really proud that you know their no. name has made it onto the side of mm. that jet or their jet, and you know, they're um, I suppose invested in making sure that it's still working, or you know, making sure that the you know they're meeting their boom targets or or whatever it is that you know there is yeah. you know the crews like you say you know, they're they're 
proud of the fact that their name is there or you know or even the fact that you know that plane is um sort of designated theirs i suppose um i suppose the only or the 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 worry i suppose is if uh amc sort of get it pushed through and stuff does it go to the the mainstream air force i mean jesus could you imagine turning up to lake and heath <laughs> with all those gray jets and literally they're just gray you know mm. all right they've not got even, not even a tail color yeah exactly you know no red no blue it'll look like the last days of the reapers won't it yeah effectively yeah um the, the, the one the one thing you've got to cling on to is the fact that um people who make these decisions aren't in post forever no, no. Um, and, and, and might not be in post for very long. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's clearly ruffled some feathers amongst uh, the majority of people. I know some people are supportive of it, and other people are, are dead against it and whatnot. At the end of the day, the Air Force from the Americans is going to do what the Air Force from the Americans is going to do. Like, oh, totally. Yeah. Our opinion um, on it's not going to change it. It's no, just it's a, few, just a little a few bit thousand, of a sad. A few thousand photographers standing at the side of a fence <laughs> over a period of the year isn't going to sway their mind. <laughs> See, and these 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 things come in phases, don't they? I mean, you you get like, I mean, how how many years have we been moaning the RAF did nothing for sort of any kind of markings on their plane, and then after that god awful sticker, we had the um, <laughs> the special tales, special schemes, the tornadoes going. We've got that special scheme for the uh, the Chinook, the 40, 40 year Chinook. Um, yeah, yeah. And then you've got blackjack. So, I mean, these things come in waves. It depends who's who's in charge and what the, the needs of the military are. And, you know, I think we've just got to enjoy what we've got and, you know, keep shooting. And maybe one Absolutely. day, eventually, eventually they'll go, oh, we've got spotters. Should we do some nose art for them and that sort of thing? And it'll, it'll creep back in again in the fullness of time, I imagine. Yeah, I, I, I mean, at the end of the day, the good thing is, is that the US Air Force inventory is that large that it's going to take 10 years or more to, to, to repaint everything. Yeah. So... Because uh, they're not going to do it as a special, a special job, are they? And that's It'll... even that's even if it affects us. Yeah, Korea, you know, it'd be like when they paint the fourth bridge, wouldn't it, or the seven bridge, or whatever it is. Once <laughs> they've got to the end, they've got to start again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's it. That's it. So by that point, the, 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 the decision will have been reversed, and then they've got to put yeah. all the serial numbers back on. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that will be hilarious because one plane will get marked wrongly, and there'll be some spot goes, "That's not that plane." Oh, that's got <laughs> yeah. the wrong code on it. That's it. <laughs> so, with that, then I think it's time to move on to the meat and bones of this podcast, um, and the, the sort of the main reason we got it going. Um, very often, we've all been asked the question: "It's like, what camera shall I buy? What gear do you use? What lens do you use? If I buy this camera, will I be better?" Well, we have relented, and we are doing a gear episode. Yep. <laughs> so we are going to have a, a chit-chat about what we do, um, well, what, what gear we use and um, that sort of thing. And hopefully by the end of it, you'll be a little bit wiser as to what we use, what you should be looking out for, um, some maybe some of the pitfalls. And, you know, and realistically, the whole point is that it's – we'll start off with the basis that the best camera you have is the one that's on you. Definitely. Agreed. With that, with that in mind, and – what camera are you currently using? And sort of give us a rundown of where you started, what your first camera was and what you've gone through to get to this point. Yeah, well, I'm probably a little bit of an oddity in this hobby, to be honest, because I've only ever shot mirrorless. Um, I've never shot with a DSLR, which some people might be like, what? Um, what are you talking about? But you've got to remember that I've only actually been in, into photography for the past five or six years or so. So I started with a very... Um, basic uh, Canon M100, I think it was. 
um was it an m10 they're very similar cameras so it's m10 m100 they're very similar like 18 megapixel uh interchangeable lenses but only a very limited lineup of lenses although you could you could get an adapter um and it shot i think it's probably five frames a second or something like that um not a very big buffer not a very good battery but it got me in the door um it was probably a 250 pound camera from curry's or something like that um and i ended up getting a a tamron tamron did a lens for that m range of uh, mirrorless cameras that canon first dipped their toe in with um so uh, tamron did an 18 to 200 mil uh lens that went natively onto that mount which was great because uh, it gave me the reach that i needed and of course it was crop sensor so 200 mil automatically becomes 320 mil when you take into account the the magnification effect of the uh, the crop sensor so that's what got me in the door um and then of course like i started i did i did i think i did cosford 2018 or 2019 with that camera and did a few of the bits and bobs and uh, of course you think oh the answer is i need a better camera to to sort of improve my uh, improve my photography which is a, a trap we all fall into from time to time or, or or a better lens or something like that which probably has a bit more credence to it um and yeah i, tra- I traded up to a, a canon m50 uh which i kept for about three years or so uh, again another mirrorless camera but it was quite a step up uh, i think it was 24 megapixel shot up to 10 frames a second uh, much better um battery life yeah it was it, it was it was a good step up and the, if anyone's looked at my instagram or photos on my facebook still to this point the vast majority of photos um on there were taken with that m50 uh, and i did i did move up through the lenses um i started with the 18 to 200 tamron uh then uh quickly acquired a, a canon uh 70 to 300 mark two i think it was um the one with the the USM motor that was um, that was a really good lens to be fair. Really enjoyed using that with the M50. Uh, then I got greedy because I needed more focal length, and I was like, I need more focal length, so I ended up with a Tamron 100 to 400. Um, yeah, and then after, like I said, I had them that sort of selection of lenses for about three years or so. Uh, but then I got to a point where I thought I've gone as far as I can go with this camera. I know everything it can do. I've learned everything about it. I know how every setting works. In any situation, I know what... If I pick that camera up, within a few seconds, I can set the settings and take the photo and get a good a good shot. Of, like, it might not be the best shot, but I can get a, a shot that's in focus, sharp, and in the frame and whatnot. And I, I just I got to a point where the one thing that I was lacking was a bit of dynamic range. So I attributed that to the crop sensor. Um probably a bit to do with the glass as well that I was using. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I was, I had literally five spare batteries with me to do, to do like a day at Riyadh. It would take five batteries to get through a day, which you should never have five batteries, <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> for one day. Um, yeah, for one day. Um, so at the end of one day, you then charge five batteries back up again, which you could imagine how much time that took. Mm. Um so yeah, so I just um, I just thought photographically and from a practicality point of view, I'd reached the end of the line with that camera, as good as it had been for me. And I've I've taken still some of my favourite images now were taken with that camera, um, and then I moved to full frame 
and I moved up from the the Canon M series up to the Canon RF series. But I've I bought this camera about eighteen months ago now, and I I'm now using the Canon EOS R, which is the original RF mount full frame camera from Canon. Um, and then I obviously uh, traded up as well because of losing the reach going from crop sensor to full frame sensor. I then uh, traded in a couple of my lenses and got a, a Sigma 150 to 600 contemporary, which is a fantastic lens to be fair um, for the, for, for the, uh, for, in terms of value, but it gave me that reach again, like effectively with the 400 mil Tamron, I was getting 640 mil uh, with the crop equivalent. So going from full uh, crop sensors to full frame, I'd lost that. So I was only getting 400 mil, which I felt when I was out and about shooting. So then I had to sort of remedy that with getting the, the Sigma. And yeah, I've had that for 18 months now. And I'm still, I'm still learning new things about that camera every time I take it out. And for me, bringing it into my little monologue here, for me, if you can, if it, the time to change your camera is when you stop learning new things about it. When you know everything that body can give and, uh, and, mm -hmm. and everything that body can do for you, that's when you change your camera. You don't need yeah. to keep upgrading. Um, I, I fell into the trap early on, as everyone does, and they think, oh, if I get a new camera, it's going to make my shots much better. And yet there was features on there that I didn't have before that taught me new things about photography, and it did move me forward in one sense. But I then, once I got to that M50, I made sure I stuck with that M50 for a long enough period of time to, to know that I'd done everything I could with that camera and took it as far as I could go. And that's exactly what I'll do with this this um, Canon EOS R as well. I will keep that until the point I feel I can't go any further with it. Yeah. I, I, I think that's really important because, I mean, I think it's it's very easy to get caught up in the idea of that, that new means better. Um, I mean, every mm. time I've upgraded my camera, it's been for a very specific reason whether it's that I've outgrown that camera or that it isn't suitable for what I'm using. It's one of those things that, you know, the, a, the camera's just there to process photos. You know, at the end of the day, every camera's going to have the same settings, ISO, shutter speed, aperture, you know, and it's that kind of, it's until you've reached the point where there are major limitations with your camera body, then, you know, a 250 pound camera from Curry's or whatever is as good as anything else, really. So I totally agree, mate. And for me, all you need is is a camera that firstly has in get interchangeable lenses or a bridge camera, one or the other. So you've got that flexibility there, and you can either change your lenses or you've got that long zoom range to work with. And then something that's going to teach you about the exposure triangle. So mm -hmm. point and shoots, get rid of them. But you, you need something like to start with that's going to teach you that exposure triangle. Something where you are putting an input into the camera um and you are uh, you're changing those settings and it's having an effect on the exposures that you're taking um and then start with things like shutter priority mode or even just start on auto start on auto like there's nothing wrong with starting on auto do you know what I mean? there's nothing wrong with that at all but once you start to sort of understand how each part of the camera and the characteristics and the way that it works and how ISO affects images and how shutter speed affects images and how your aperture affects images, then start playing with them. Start, to, right, I'm going to use shutter priority mode, which I used for the longest time and I was very happy with the M50 using that. But I got to a point where I felt I need to move to manual, not because it's the hip thing to do or it's the trendy thing to do. I needed to move to manual to start 
upskilling myself, um, instead of letting the camera make those decisions, which I fully trusted it to do, it's the la- I felt I was being a little bit lazy doing that. And I was actually teaching myself more by making some mistakes by being in manual mode mm-hmm. than I was just letting the yeah. camera make those decisions. Mm-hmm. But, but there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with those, pro- those modes when you're first starting out because – you, you don't know what the exposure triangle is. You don't know the exact characteristics of that body. You, you, you're learning, and no one expects anyone to know anything inside out from, from day one when they're learning. So use the camera's features to your advantage, and then as you learn, start switching them off and start moving more to manual. That's, that's what mm-hmm. I've done. Yes. It's took me about five years, but I, I now shoot manual most of the time. I'll happily switch back if, if I have to. I mean, you only really learn from making mistakes, you know, and it's like, it can be quite daunting. It's like you can take a shot in a sort of auto mode and you'll get, you'll get a good result. And then you'll take your, you, it's like your first experience is a manual is you take exactly the same shot and it's blurred, it's dark, you don't, but it's like you have to go through mountains of really bad photos before you get to good photos. There's no, you know, it's, there's no, I mean, I know cameras have got all sorts of different modes in it, but there's no one mode that a camera can give you that's going to give you it's never going to be the magic bullet it's never going to give you the perfect shot that's you know on you understanding the camera knowing the gear you use i mean i've seen people pulling amazing shots out of some of the most basic gear and that's because it's the photographer not the camera Mm -hmm. yeah i mean moving on to you mike i mean you've had a you've even changed systems in your journey haven't you yeah, I've actually changed twice, if if you count right back in the day. Um, so, yeah, my, my journey started. I was actually hand-me-down a Canon 20D, and by the time I got it, it was probably already 15 years old. <laughs> um, it had, I remember it now, it had a scratch on the viewfinder, so that's not going to help whatsoever with, with anything. Um, but with it, I got a... Um, Sigma 50 to 500, which was, you know, extraordinary piece of kit and, and pretty, you know, pretty well stands up today, doesn't it? I think, I think it's still, yeah, still yeah. going strong. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so that was, that was, you know, my first real proper setup, I suppose, for, for this kind of thing anyway, for aviation. And, um, but it was just, um, too old and there were, you know, things didn't quite work on it. The scratch on the viewfinder was awful. It would have cost me a lot to get it repaired. Um, so in the end, I, um, you know, talking to friends and family that were also into photography, I got chatting to my, my dad's mate who was, uh, an Olympus user for mainly sort of, you know, birds and wildlife and, you know, birds, stuff that flies, not too dissimilar, is it, to aviation? <laughs> um, so I thought, you know, that sounds like, like a pretty good idea. You know, I've seen some of his shots, they are, you know, pretty stunning, so... I went down the route of um, moving over to Olympus, and that's where I stayed for probably four or five years. So I started off with the EM1 Mark One, which is um, mirrorless, obviously. So going down the similar route to what to what Ant was just saying about that um, micro four third sensor. And don't ask me to go into what that means because I can't remember now. <laughs> um, but it's basically, smaller than crop, basically. Yeah, it's smaller than crop, <laughs> yeah. and it, I, I had a. Um, the, the best lens I had for the Olympus setup was the, the Panasonic 100 to 400. So that's equivalent to 
pretty much 200 800 in 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 you know uh, dslr money and um yeah I, I got some pretty 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 fine close-up you know cockpit shots and all sorts of stuff with that and you know i, I couldn't fault that that setup at all until again after maybe two or three years that em1 just just started to go downhill like that it would it would freeze and then lock up so you'd have to basically take the battery out um and this was when batteries were full um all that sort of stuff and it just just little niggly things like that started to get to me and i thought um, it was about the time when olympus announced the um, em1x as their new flagship for sort of sports and you know action photography and that's you normally think of mirrorless cameras as being quite small and you know compact whereas this em1x is probably not too dissimilar in size to a a dslr with a grip on the bottom um except the grip was integrated so um yeah i moved over to that and then i had that for probably 18 months two years um really enjoyed that brilliant um brilliant camera for aviation it had um basically tracking built in so you could i think it actually had a proper aviation aircraft tracking um setting on it which i think quite a lot of newer stuff has now doesn't it um again that seemed to work okay unless you were quite close and stuff was going you know 500 knots plus then it was then it would struggle a little bit um but it was okay and then um yeah so now i'm with nikon but i think that's mainly for sentimental reasons really um yeah that olympus cm1x was a, a good bit a good bit of kit but um in 2021 i lost my dad and he was a um you know a big nikon user and had been for probably as long as i can remember 25 30 years probably and um yeah i just sort of um started picking up his kit every now and again having a, having a go with it and um it just felt better <laughs> it, it sounds silly but um you know the, the first one i picked up was a d850 and you know going from mirrorless to full frame that was like shock to the system mm. massive sort of change in, in in what i'm getting in the viewfinder and, and 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 the amount of just the amount of data that i'm sucking into these you know if you're shooting in raw you're just getting so much more more stuff in there and that felt almost like it changed the game not that i was unhappy with the shots i was getting with with the olympus stuff but it just felt like um it was enough of a sort of a, a kick up the backside to start reinvigorating my passion again so to speak not that things had got really stale but just um gives you a bit of a nudge to to kind of reinvent you th- reinvent yourself again i suppose so yeah now i'm mostly using a d850 um with a 80 to 400 nikon lens which is is quite nice it's not it's not the best reach in the world but i've got a um 1.2 converter just in case and also if you really want you can flick it flick the body into um crop sensor mode so that gives you a little bit more um i haven't quite worked out what's better yet doing that or using the actual converter it seems Mm. there's not a lot in it to be honest um i can't tell really can't really tell the difference I, i did think that you'd might see more of a difference but you just don't I think I think the from, from I mean and I, I can only talk from Canon perspective, but like uh, the OSR has a crop sensor mode as well, 
and that's a 30.3 megapixel sensor. But when you flick it into crop sensor mode, although it's only magnifying by 1.6 times, so you're only using the sort of center section of the, the full frame sensor, it actually only uses a, uh, creates a 12 megapixel image, which, hmm. yeah, it is quite a difference. And you, you, it really sort of severely limits what you can what you can actually do in post-processing because you can't mm. then crop any further really um, without losing any detail. And it's sort of because you've only used a sort of center section of the actual full frame sen sensor, you, you, you've lost a lot of pixels already. There's not much you can do with um, dynamic yeah. range or like bringing out the high, uh, bringing down the highlights or bringing out the shadows and stuff. So yeah, I think, I think, if it was me in your situation, I would probably go with the converter because you're still getting all that information onto the full sensor. It's just that you've magnified the image a little bit. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense actually. Yeah. I think I don't um, know if know, it's the same. It might be different no, on Nikon. I've, I've never spent the time, you know, proper pixel peeping at the um, at the two to compare, but um, the with the obviously converter it, it knocks you back an f stop as well doesn't it so that's always something to bear in mind yeah. when you're mm -hmm. out there in the field you've got to adjust everything else to you know going back to the exposure triangle sort of stuff you've got to know about that to adjust and compensate for the things like that just to make sure that you're still going to get things nice and sharp yeah definitely definitely just one question because obviously i didn't i didn't mention this but asking you mike um what what sort of um frame rate are you getting for like what's the top frame rate and what's your sort of buffer like because th those are two important things from an aviation yeah, well, to be honest with the nikon i've got a grip on yeah which incre increases the shutter, um, the frame rate anyway and i've also got an xqd memory card ah well that's gonna help so <laughs> i have i have never hit my buffer yeah with, yeah. with that setup and yeah. i think that's pretty incredible but you know i'm, I'm not stunned standing there holding the button down for 30 seconds that's not that's not how i operate but you know maybe you might get maybe a five to ten second burst occasionally and I, i've still never never hit it yeah 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 because I, I i personally I, I like to prioritize um the buffer over frames per second because yeah i just don't want to be sat there sorting through 20,000 images. It's all very well and good having 50 <laughs> frames a second or 30 frames a second or whatever it is. Like, But I think my ESR gets, in tracking mode, it gets between seven to eight frames a second, which I'm more than happy with. But I know that the buffer will never fill on that because I use the uh, UHS-2 SD cards. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's more than fast enough to cope with that at that speed. And there's never been a point where I've, filled the buffer either and i think that i personally think that's more important than than having all those frames per second because it's just yeah. going to save you time in post-processing as far as i'm concerned exactly yeah the last thing you need to do when you just want to look at your your good stuff is is, is spend hours sorting through <laughs> and binning all those that's shots it. that's it binning loads of shots and also like you, you're having to sit there and import so many files and so many megabytes of information or gigabytes of information it is by the time you've uh, you've you've brought in all those files that you just you're probably knackered by the time you've yeah and, and you've, you've done all that <laughs> and you've got you've got to store all that somewhere yeah, as well to begin with it. before you go through and delete it so it, it's all got it all has a knock on effect yeah yeah definitely I think it's, yeah. also, it's also it's worth noting I know you, you mentioned you're uh, having a converter 
is that converters don't always work, do they? It depends what your. I think I've never used one um, because some of the lenses I've had before have never lent themselves to it. But I believe if you've got a, you have there's a conversion rate you have to work out to get the correct aperture, and if your two times or one point five time converter goes over that limit, it automatically sort of shuts off the autofocus. Yeah. So mm-hmm. only be- your lens then only becomes an, uh, a manual focus lens of your uh, um, converter on. So if if it's one, if for anyone listening thinking, oh, I'll just get a two times converter, don't think about it. <laughs> check, your, check your lens, check your compatibilities first because it may have a more detrimental effect um, than what you're looking for. I think I think two two times converters are very much like universally vilified across the yeah. across the brand spectrum, aren't they? I think they they. They're made out by the camera brands to be these these like sort of life changing devices that can give you double the reach. But when in reality, you're actually just ruining your image quality. To be honest, yeah, yeah. Um, it'll be, I think it'll be soft as anything. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's universally accepted across every brand. I tried one, and I think within about an hour, I realised yes, I've got twice as much reach, but I'm also the. Uh, the lens or the camera, you know, the the setup was twice as sensitive to any wind buffeting, any um, shake, which maybe without the two times extender, you sort of like might be able to sort of like get away. But uh, it was one of the worst days. Well, it wasn't a bad day spotting. You know, there was a lot going on. But when you get home, you look at your pictures and you're just like, ah. <laughs> you know you're like oops that wasn't good <laughs> one um, of them one of them expensive mistake days <laughs> yeah exactly and i mean i fully i was fully aware that at the time uh putting the two times extender on was exactly like what rob said i lost autofocus and i thought well you know back in the day i never had autofocus i was manual anyway i can do it i can do it no i can't <laughs> i really can't <laughs> really really can't so but it, that's actually a, a, a good little segue into moving into you tim um because you've obviously Please done don't. You've, <laughs> <laughs> you've relatively recently gone from a dslr to mirrorless haven't you yes yes i have um so i <laughs> I'm not going to go back that far. Um, I was going to say you've got further had to go back a, than the rest of us. Like I can. Well, thanks, mate. Uh, the 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 first sort of like real camera I can remember having was a. I've had to Google this because like I was like, well, I knew it was a Pentax. Um, it was a Pentax SLR um, ZX5. From the looks of pictures on Google and stuff, I'm like, yep, that's pretty much it. I knew it as a Z in there somewhere. Um, but that was that for me, that was all singing, all dancing. It got autofocus. Uh, I didn't have to wind the wind it on or anything, you know, that did all that electrically and stuff. And it's like, ooh, bells and whistles, look at me go. <laughs> um, and I used that for probably five, six years. Um, and then I finished uh I finished my studies to be a chef and then went out into the wide world, focused on my career. And I don't think I took a picture of a plane for about 10, 15 years. Um, sad loss. <laughs> it's just like, I <laughs> uh, think back to sort of like what I could have been taking pictures of. Um, and it was probably six months before COVID kicked off 
that I was in a place where I'd got a little bit of spare time and I knew I could get to like Lake and Heath, Mildenhall, Waddisham, maybe push a day at Coningsby. And I thought, do you know what? I'm going to go and take some pictures of some planes. Um, and I had a, a like a, a Fuji Fine Pix bridge camera, you know, like the stereotypical holiday camera. I thought I'd pitch up, take some pictures of the planes. Um, and I went to Mildenhall and uh, Lake and Heath were using Mildenhall for some reason. I don't know why, but F-15s were in there. <laughs> I just could not get the thing to focus on the F-15s as they were coming into land. I was just like, I can do this. I can do this. I, I can't do this. I couldn't do this. Um, so, I mean, I, you know, that was that was a, a good day. I don't think you have bad days at the fence. There was a lot going on. Um, when things were taxiing past, you know, yes, I could take pictures of it and everything else. Um, but I came away from that and I thought, ah, I want a better I want a better camera so I can really sort of like get into this and sort of like start. And um, at the time I was going up there with a couple of mates, uh, Kev Ellis, Will Camp, um, and Kev turned around and said, well, I'm changing my camera. Do you want to buy mine? Um, and I ended up buying his D60. It wasn't the 60D, it was a D60. Um, and again, just sort of had a quick look on Google. They're worth about 30 quid now. Um, <laughs> but that was my first DSLR. Um, you know, it got a screen on the back, so you take a picture of it and say, like, ooh, look at that. Yeah, great, cool. And I had that for about a year. And then we we had our sort of two years off from humanity. Um, and in that time, I was sort of uh, out the back of mine. There's sort of like some bird hides, about 10 minutes walk, sort of like hiking out there and stuff, walking the dog. Um, and eventually sold the D60 and I got a 50D. And that had got like a better frame rate who got a better sensor in it and everything else and it's bizarre because i spoke to our fishmonger at the hotel and he was a he's a bit of a twitcher um and he was sort of like you know match that canon body up to a canon lens um and i was like what do you mean and he sort of like talked me through it and i was like okay fine okay 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 um so I found a 100-400, paired that up to it, um, and I think sort of two, three weeks later, I think some of the restrictions were lifted, and I made it to Lake and Heath, um, and I, it was just, it was a completely different world. I was just like, wow, you know, and I literally fell into the trap. I became a gear whore. <laughs> there's no, no, uh, there's just no other word for it. You know, I was like. You know, every time I went there, I probably saw something else that someone else had or a bigger lens or a such and such, such and such. Um, and, yeah, I just went nuts. Um, I think I changed my camera body three times inside of a year. Um, and, yeah, like, listen, and listen, <laughs> listening to you sort of saying, you know, you need to get the most out of your camera and everything else. I'm sitting here like a shrinking violet just thinking, <laughs> ah. I'm not right. I, I'm just that's just my own opinion. Do you know what I mean? I'm not I'm not sitting here preaching but to anyone. He's not but the if, Oracle. <laughs> yeah. No, if someone you, asks you me, are, that's my are, opinion. No, I think you are right, you know. And I think that is um so I've now changed to the R7, which is mirrorless. Um I saw it get released and I looked at it and I went, oh, my God, that looks like a beast of a camera. 
Um, I'm in the position where I can get it. Uh, all my gear up to then was secondhand. And I thought, do you know what? I work hard. Sod it. I'm going to treat myself. Well done, me. Here you go. <laughs> congratulations. Um, congratulations. Um, but I had to wait about, I think, what was it, like six months? Yeah. Because I ordered it about two days after it was sort of released to mm. the public that, you know, um, and in the thinking that I would probably get it for Ria, I didn't get it for Ria. I didn't even get it, <laughs> not even a chance. Um, I only got it sort of like, fairly what was it september last year i think it was you know, um and i was getting really frustrated by it you know i thought i was being blown off i thought i was just getting really frustrated with it um and i was having issues with the atd that i had at the time not so much the camera but my sigma 150 600 had real issues with back focusing um so i think uh, yeah i'd be in my mind i'm focused on a plane um look at it and the plane was there but the thing behind it was more in focus um i spoke to i spoke to mick mick westlake just a random day down at lake neath and he said oh send it to this guy you know um and it was a guy called anthony at camera cal i spoke to him briefly and he said yeah it's quite a common common issue with the lens send it off we'll calibrate it to the camera i got it back and the net like the the next time out i was just was blown away you know actually sort of like wow look at me i'm a photographer <laughs> um so yeah um total gear whore <laughs> what, what what do you what we're all on the edge of our seat for especially me because i'm very interested <laughs> in the r7 like what what's since as as you've had it since september now so we're getting on for six months what are your your, your initial thoughts with that uh, it's uh, f- for me personally it's mind-blowing uh, every time I use it, I figure something else out. And um, was it? The, I think it was the last time I went to Lakenheath and I met up with Mike. That was my first day, and I actually sort of said, "Do you know what? If I hash this up, it's not the end of the world because it's pictures of F-15s and F-35s. I'm going to shoot the day on manual." And inside of probably an hour, two hours, I understood more about what I was doing than I had. And it's like. It's almost like taking that leap um, to make make yourself understand, like sort of watching the plane come in through the viewfinder, and you go, "Oh, that's a bit dark," and you sort of twiddle twiddle about something. Like, oh, that's very light now, and you sort of like <laughs> go back the other way, and you go, "Okay, well, I've completely missed that, but now I know I've got the right setting." And of course, at Lake and Heath, the cloud moves, and then it goes bright, and you go, "Oh, uh, now it's wrong." just a day spent just like that of messing shots up. But yes, I messed shots up, but I came away knowing a lot more um, and understanding a hell of a lot more about what I needed to do in that exposure triangle, uh, what the camera um, would eat, would totally eat up, um, like the, the ISO on it just, you know, if I had sort of like an ISO of sort of, I don't know, sort of like six, 700 on the 6070 uh, D, it'd be quite noisy. On the R7, it just kind of laughs and goes, meh. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, you know, um, and I've, I've really just sort of like, I suppose, wasted days or if I've taken the camera out while I'm walking the dogs and I'll, I'll, I'll be 
you know, take pictures of the dogs. And I've got sort of like, um, it'll be sort of like late afternoon, the ISO is up in the thousands, get home, have a quick look. It's just, it's just like nothing. Um, it's for it, for me, it's a phenomenal camera. It really is. Um, yeah. I, I, think, just can't, I, think, I just can't wait to get out there and use it more. I'm just yeah. like so excited to sort of like go, eh, I've got a day, I, I've got a day pinned in, I can get to Lake Anith, you know. <laughs> um, I mean, it's got the, like one of the selling things for me was the electronic shutter. I was like, what's that all about then? You know, and I'm going to blame him. I know he's not here to defend himself, but I'm going to blame <laughs> Linham. Um, I'm going to blame Mark Linham. He, uh mike you sort of like touched on it about like being able to switch from uh full frame to crop um i was at lakenheath and i bumped into mark and it was the first time i'd met him um and uh an f15 had gone down the runway launched by the control tower you know the the normal launch and obviously i've got my picture of it and then standing next to mark and he's sort of reviewing his i'm like how the hell have you got that jump from sort of like it going down the runway and then you're basically in the cockpit as it's sort of like rotating off. You're going, oh, I switched to crop sensor. I was like, what? You know, it's like, what? Um, there's me. <laughs> I just sort of came away from that sort of going, what was he talking about? You know, <laughs> having to have a sort of like a quick Google and everything else um, and sort of like standing next to him. And I was like, didn't you take any pictures of that? He went, yeah. It was just, I was like, but your camera didn't mean it. Oh, no, I'm using an electronic shutter. What? <laughs> it's just like all these little sort of like things just blowing my mind open. Um, but, the, yeah, the, the electric shutter on the, on the R7 is that's phenomenal. Like, oh, my God, unless I'm shooting Apaches, in which case I get sickles for blades. But I, I haven't quite figured that one out yet. It's, de it's definitely down to the cabbage user. It's not the camera. Um, although there are some known issues with what is it rolling shutter? Yeah, yeah. Um, again, I like I put that down to the cabbage. <laughs> I think I think look, this is this is part of the problem at the minute with with me not. So I mean, obviously, like I said, I've, I am committed to the, the to the R, but I am actively planning ahead for what's next in a couple yeah. of years' time. Um, but at the moment, the biggest thing that's putting me off all of the R cameras at the moment is the rolling shutter issue. Mm. Uh, now, Canon's just come out with the R8, which is supposed to be effectively the replacement for the R, um, which is a full frame, um, a full frame camera. It's got like it doesn't even have a mechanical shutter on it. It's yeah. like pretty much it's got an electronic first curtain and then a fully electric shutter. Um, and yeah, I'm just waiting to see the real world real world results yeah sort of see if that's still an issue or if canon are starting to actually work it out of their of their cameras because obviously for anyone that doesn't understand like um obviously a mechanical shutter like it's literally like a shutter that comes down on a shop window and yeah. it just comes down and shoots back up really quickly and um it can go up to like one eight thousandth of a second but with an electronic shutter it basically scans the image in lines across mm. across the sensor. So as it's coming down from top to bottom, it'll just scan. Um, the problem is, although it's electronic, it actually does that slower than a mechanical shutter, which when you're shooting things like props or rotors or, for example, birds with really fast wings, it then 
creates this warping effect because yeah. it's scanning each I mean, line. I find it quite hilarious. Like there was a there was a there was a C one thirty coming out at um, Lagunith, and it was coming past. Um, it was sort of like coming up from uh, the the backside, or what I call the base, sort of like coming up past Wangford Hall, Burger Van, yeah. Yeah. coming up that way, and um, I was over at the forest entrance at the time. And I was down by the fence, and I thought, well, it's taxiing. Like, for me, I, I, I don't like to take pictures of it until I can see all of the wheels. Um, so I was just sort of, like, fiddling around. And uh, I thought, well, sort of, I'll get some video of it. Flicked it onto, like, video, and I was messing around with the shutter speed. And it was just hilarious because the, the props either froze, you know, just like, eh, nope, and, like, it was stand, like stood still, um, or they went into complete sickles, or they just disappeared like full disc. You know, <laughs> and I was just sort of like standing there giggling, just sort of like I found it absolutely hilarious. <laughs> I was just sort of like going, I've got to figure this out at some point. <laughs> you know, it was like, yeah. um, it's just, yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it just it just blows my mind how cool I suppose it is, and I, I take I take great credit in sort of like saying i've convinced like two or three other people to go out and buy them as well <laughs> like canon should be like giving me like stuff for this um you know I should canon, be if you're listening yeah absolutely um but i can't remember i mean um ollie's ollie curtis has just put a reel up um mm. hasn't he of the pc7 uh axel i yeah. can't remember if he had the r7 in time for axel or I not i think he did i think no i don't after. think he did but I'm really looking forward to seeing what he gets this year at Axel using yeah. the R7. Yeah. Um, you know, like, eh. and I'd, I also take sort of like massive confidence and sort of like uh, happiness uh, in, I suppose, having a partial sort of like persuasive uh, element in um, Sav. She's just moved over to the R7 as well, like literally in the last was it a couple of weeks i think it is yeah Sav, Sav aviation um i can't wait to see how she gets on with that in the lakes i mean like the shots she gets i'm just like well you know and now she's sort of like got that i mean I, th- I think her 7d mark ii sort of like finally gave up or was like on its last legs that's what prompted her to get it um plus me needling her going get it get it get it <laughs> um and uh yeah, now she's got it. I think she's she's making her way through it and finding her feet with it. I can't wait to see what she does with that. I think. Yeah, yeah I think it's. Uh, I, I really. It, it's. It, it, honestly, that camera so far is the closest I've come to sort of pressing the button, <laughs> as it were, uh, on getting an, another camera. But I, I we, managed, we haven't, I we haven't been at the. Uh, we haven't been at the fence since I've had it, have we? No, but, I'm, I'm, um, literally, I'm literally just going to be sort of like dangling it in front of you. Going, <laughs> do you want to use this? Do you want to uh, help I, with it? Go when on, I was go at, at Coningsby last month, I did uh, I did grab Liam's off him for about five ten minutes and yeah. uh, just had a. I didn't take any shots with it, but I did have just like a, a once over of the yeah. body. I was quite surprised that it was basically exactly the same size as the R because I was expecting it being a crop sensor to be a bit smaller, and it's actually in the, the hand. I thought the R was going to be bigger. It's almost identical in size. There's a couple of mil difference, if that. So I was very pleasantly surprised that it was quite... Because like, one of the other sort of like um, factors for me to get the R7 was, like I can remember you having the M50, um, and Matt's got it now, <laughs> hasn't he? Yes. And yeah. it's so compact. Yeah. Um, and I, I loved that. You know, it's mm. so compact, but it's so um, brutally fast. 
Yeah. And, you know, I was just like, oh, you know, you, you know when you've been carrying a, a DSLR around with the 15600, if you haven't got a, a, a strap, then you're going to come away with forearms like Popeye. You know, it's just, <laughs> just like, and that's without spinach. That's it. Um, I mean, they're big chunks of, well, they're not even metal, are they? <laughs> not these days, no. I, yeah, big chunks and lots of glass on the front. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, um, the R7 for me, yeah, it's a winner. You'll be holding on to that one for a while then. Yeah, that's, that is not going anywhere. Um, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I've changed, changed my camera as quick as I changed my socks, but this one's, this one's staying. That um, one's sticking. You just might have a second body. I don't, I don't <laughs> think there's any chance of that. I mean, I, I have kept uh, have kept the AED um, for now because I know as soon as I sell it, something will go wrong with the R7. Yeah. So it's well, kind of my, it's, it's yeah exactly it's it's kind of my sort of get out of jail free you know and, and I know it will go wrong like if I sell the AED and I go to Riyadh for arrivals or something it will go wrong on the first plane and I'll be stuck for the whole weekend yeah it's, it's, you, you know using me mobile phone yeah or it, something it, stupid like that it is, <laughs> it is it is sound advice if you if you're in a position where you've got two bodies is it is definitely advisable to 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 keep one if if you don't have to like move it on and sell it on or whatnot mm. because it's always good to have that backup because at the end of the day it's it's a it's a piece of consumer electronics at the end of the day yeah it's i mean the 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 not the, yeah, the nice thing is it ta- the the r7 takes the same battery as the add you know i haven't had to go out and buy new batteries uh i got the rf adapter with the r7 so i could use my 15600 i could use my 7200 um you know with it um so i didn't really have a lot to mess about with or change or anything yeah you know that was that was another factor as well i mean there were so many factors to it you know it was yeah it just ticked all those boxes i just went oh god that is nice <laughs> um what about you rob You've been waiting patiently in the wings. We've come around, <laughs> Robin. It's your turn. <laughs> so I started off with like um, a bit like Tim said. I had this. Um, I brought this Canon um, SX510. I think it was called. Uh, it was just like a, a entry level bridge camera, um, and it had didn't have a viewfinder. It just had a screen on the back and twelve megapixels. No, it only shot JPEG. That sort of thing. Um, so it was used typically for holidays and that sort of thing. And then I went to like a a small air show and I thought, oh, I'll try and take some pictures of the airplanes. And I thought, yeah, I can do it with this. And then I realized quickly, no, I can't do it with this. <laughs> um, and it, I kind of started getting a bit more into photography. So I thought, do you know, what? I'm going to go buy myself a proper DSLR. Um, so I ended up picking up a D5200, which is sort of like an entry level um, DSLR, basically. Um it's all right. It's a pretty good, pretty decent camera. I still use it today, um, but I, I very quickly, I learned to shoot manually on it and then kind of got very quickly grew out of it. Um, I found there were lots of sort of limitations with it. Um, the, the ability to change settings quickly is not possible because it's all on a, like on a screen rather than on a, uh, within menus on a screen rather than being with buttons. Um, and, because it's an entry-level camera, it's designed for people who are going to 
take holiday snaps and just shoot in JPEG. So it has like a what they call an anti-aliasing filter on it, which effectively adds extra saturation to um, the images you shoot. So whether you shoot it in RAW or JPEG, you get like a, a more saturated kind of thing. And when you're at a summer air show, you get a deep saturated blue sky. You just you, just, you can recover some of it in um, in post, but it's still a bit of a, a pain in the backside. Um, so I was, I was thinking about sort of moving it on. Um, but what eventually made me change was I was at an event somewhere and I was changing lenses in the field and I dropped one of my lenses. <sighs> and uh, Ouch. luckily it was all right, apart from a few uh, bumps and scrapes. But um, it was at that point I said, right, I'm going to have a second camera because, you know, if I'm going to be changing lenses in the field, I don't want to keep dropping things. So <laughs> this um, is going to happen again. Yeah. So I upgraded to a D7200, which is uh, sort of like a mid level kind of camera. It, uh, I think with my battery grip on, it'll get me sort of seven frames a second. Um, the buffer's not that great. It's um, a notoriously bad buffer, um, but I use the fastest cards I can afford and it doesn't generally cause me an issue. Um, I can normally work around it, but it's just about knowing the limitations of the camera. But in terms of everything else, it's really, really good. And um, I got to a point where I was running that and the D5200, um, normally using one for close-up shots and one for the ground or um, sort of display teams. And because it had this annoying anti-aliasing filter over the sensor, a bug got somehow broke through the seal and got Ooh. between them. You know, you know, when you get like a like a thunderfly ends up on your... Um, uh, monitor, yeah, and it was that situation oh, basically. Christ, I should but, imagine looking through a lens at that, it'd be a thunder cat. Yeah. So I thought, <laughs> and I mean, it was it was only on the corner of the the thing, so but it was but it was just like it was enough to for me to go. Do you know what? I'm gonna, I'm just gonna get rid of it and get another one. But so I thought, well, the D seventy two hundred is so good. Um, at this point in time, I've got no need to go for anything else or anything more expensive. So I picked up a a second hand. D7200 I paid about 400 quid for and it had sort of only a few thousand shutter activations on it um so these days I'm running two of them um <laughs> so normally I've got I've got one that's got the uh Nikon to a uh, Nikon 200 to 500 on it um and I've got a 7300 which I also use which I've been using for which I used to use on the D5200 uh, um and that's a really it's a really nice lens actually it's not as quick as some of my Nikon lenses, um, but it is it does give quite re rewarding photos, um, and so I've got a, a pair that I've got an eighteen to two hundred as well. I've got a twenty four to one twenty, which is effectively in my mind is going to replace the uh, eighteen to two hundred because I'm I'm going for a phase now where I'm moving away from some third party glass and replacing it with purely Nikon glass because I want to go in future. I want to go full frame. Uh, I'm still kind of, I'm in an RM whether I go full frame DSLR or if I make the jump to mirrorless. Um, part of the reason is that I think Nikon are still a little bit behind everyone else in terms of their what they're offering in mirrorless. And also I know they're still very funny about third-party lenses being compatible with the new cameras. Um, and there are nowadays some very good third-party lenses out there. Um, so I don't at this point want to sort of cut my nose off and not be able to use these uh, these other lenses and be totally sort of tied into the Nikon ecosystem. There was a, um, I think it was a few a few months back, I think it was um, the guy on YouTube, Fro, Fro Knows Photos, 
think he did a video or a, a you know a post saying that Canon was stopping um was it Samyang Samyang or something yeah like you weren't going to be able to use their lenses and he was like why what you know why <laughs> when it comes when it comes to Canon yeah what they're trying to do is because the RF is a new system they want anyone that adopts it to only be Canon glass yeah. And and it sort of forces people to spend more money with Canon if you want to be on that ecosystem. And then once once that sort of surge of new or, or people transitioning from DSLR into into RF, um, and then the surge of new people coming into uh, to to that sort of uh, lineup of cameras has sort of started to to, to sort of. Uh, level off and whatnot then, then they'll probably say to sigma and tamron and samyang and rokinon and all the other types out there and just say yeah now, now you can make lenses but by that point the ship's already sailed yeah like do you know what i mean the people have people have either bought the l series lineup with like really expensive glass which let's be honest that's the most important thing in your camera setup is your glass or they've gone for the more affordable option but they're already in the Canon ecosystem then. So yeah. it's going to have to be a stellar sort of um, showing from Sigma or Tamron or any of the others to make people think otherwise and, 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 and opt to buy their, their lenses instead, I think, personally. Mm. but I, I think it is. I mean, I think I believe Nikon are currently looking at doing a, a range with Tamron, where it, but they're almost like officially licensed by Nikon rather than yeah. where they have been, where they've been sort of like their own independent things. So, I mean, I, I used to use the Tamron 150 to 600. And as I say, the 70 to 300 I've got is a Tamron. I've got an 18 to 200 Tamron. And they are um, they're not without their faults, but in terms of image quality, you do get some really, really nice mm. um, uh, sort of imagery out of them. And uh, the one thing I've found now that I've there's a, a certain, um, I mean, I don't know whether it's just me or whether it is actually the case, but I feel like there's a certain more... With the Nikon glass, I'm finding there's a certain amount of warmness to it that you don't get from sort of sort of third party lenses. It's almost it's quite distinctively Nikon, um, yeah. which is what part of the other reason why I'm moving over to Nikon glass. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think it's um, it would it would be a shame if the camera manufacturers just kind of decided to sort of close off the system because I think if other lens manufacturers are making their lenses better, they've got to push the native manufacturers to make their lenses better, mm. you know, is because they can then just end up just turn, churning out a load of old, I mean, it won't be rubbish, but they'll, they'll sort of give it, give out cheap lenses, which aren't as good, but they'll be charging Nikon prices, Canon prices for. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But I, th- I think to be honest, like as a, as a sort of a way to summarize what we've all, what we've all said is that, it really doesn't matter what gear you've got at any point during your sort of, I don't want to use the word journey because it's corny, but I'll say your, your, your journey with aviation photography or any other type of photography. It really doesn't matter what gear you've got as long as, as long as you learn from it, I think is Mm. probably the best message. And, um, if you can get good glass, then I think to be honest, the glass is, is the investment and then yes. the camera bodies will come and go. Yeah. Um, but if you can get really good glass and look after it and maintain it well, I think the other thing I think it's like people put themselves under pressure to 
take um, that perfect shot or to take the better pictures, you know, oh, I mm. saw this on Facebook or I saw this on Instagram and I saw this picture and, so, mm. you know, and I, yeah, I'm guilty of that. You know, I, I see a shot and go, wow, that's mind blowing. How, you know, how the hell have they got that? And you sort of go, I'd, I'd kill to be able to take a picture of that. And you just sort of go, you'll get there. Mm. Yeah, you'll get there. Yeah. You've just got to start to understand, or you know, I've just got to start to understand more about what I'm asking the camera to do. You know, it's not just a case of just go and take a picture of that and make it look great. <laughs> you know? I think I think one of my my key things is that it always feels like people see other people with big stuff at like the fence and that, and they feel and like... assume that that's what they've got to have. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. my viewpoint is the camera you own and the gear, the lenses you own, should be firstly what you could afford because no one should be putting themselves in a position where they're buying something they can't afford or buy and then don't make use of. Yeah, but definitely. Buy for the photography you want. I mean, if it's like if you want to go to an air show and you want to catch the planes flying, then, you know, great, get 150 or 600 mil. But if you just want to walk around and look at the planes on the ground, if that, that's what you want. You want to take pictures of tail numbers. A box down a camera with an 18 to 55 is going to be good enough. Mm. I mean, I mean, going back to what we said about the glass, I mean, I think... If there was one takeaway, it would be that I think glass does make a difference. Um, I've got a Nikon D70S that I brought a couple of years ago just for shits and giggles, really. Um, and it, it's effectively the original. I think I think it's effectively the original version of the D7000 range. Um, so it's about 15-ish years old, 20 years old, that sort of range. But it's um, it's not as fast. But if I put my glass on it, it still takes really good photos and I've, I've taken it out to air shows and I've had the two cameras side by side and some of the shots I've got out of it just look great, you know, yeah. and it's not, yeah. it's, but that's because I understand how to use the camera. I understand the exposure triangle and I understand Definitely. how to shift from one to the other. And that is, that is the most important thing. I mean, if, if you're looking to start out, go to MPB, pick yourself up a D70 or the, the Canon equivalent for 30, 40 quid and learn how to shoot in manual learn how the exposure triangle works and then build up from there and if you decide you know what i want to be taking pictures i want i want to see the dwight's of pilot's eyeballs then you know move up through there but just because you see people like us at the fence we've got these big cameras we've, we've got the cameras and the lenses that we have now because we have exhausted abilities with the stuff we've had before and we've we've moved forward always move forward and and you know, it's at the end of the day, photography is a passion. And if you get enjoyment out of a, an airplane at 18 to 55, or even on your phone, you know, phones have come on at, at leaps and bounds recently. Yeah. And, you know, and as I come back to what I said at the beginning, in my view, the, the best camera, the best gear you can have for taking photos, be it an air show at the fence, is whatever you've got with you. And if that's your phone, great. If it's a, a Sony a, a, a Canon R7 or whatever, you know, great but yeah. always it's always learn how to use it and spend your time and effort on that rather than spending your time and effort going i need to have this lens to be like this person or i need to have mm. this lens because the magazine said so i yeah. mean we we all <laughs> i should imagine we all sort of like look at um yeah you you go through instagram and you see um santos in america you know and he's put up his latest sort of like scrollathon of <laughs> rivets and everything else uh, yeah his shots and some of the some of the shots coming out of america by those guys you just sort of think oh my 
God, how would it you? Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Clear blue skies, brilliant. And you know, <laughs> your, your setup and everything else. Uh, but aspire, I think, aspiring to get shots like people. I don't think there's anything wrong with that because it gives you that push to mm. go, look, I, mm. you know, I, I'm going to spend another, you know, I'm going to spend half an hour watching YouTube and understand this, um, you know, triangle. Or I'm going to, you know, next time I go, I'm going to try something, get myself out of my comfort zone. And, you know, like we've always said, the planes ain't going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, you know, the ones at Lake and Heath and Milnor, they're not going anywhere for a few more years. They're going to be there. Their markings might do, though. Their markings <laughs> might do, yes. Um, they might come back. They might come back wrong. Um, <laughs> um, but it doesn't matter if you make a mistake. Yeah, you know, that's it. it. Because let's be honest, we're not shooting film either. No, no. <laughs> that's, that's it, isn't it? I think, I think the one thing that you both alluded to very well there is that it, it, it's not just, it's years and years of iteration through the equipment that we use, but it's also years and years of learning, trial and error. Yeah. And too many, like, like, like you said at the start, Rob, too many people message you through social media wanting the immediate answer mm. to how to take a photo like that. And I can't give it to them. I, I tell I, you I just, what, I tell you what is... Uh, like touching on social media, right? There's those, there's the apps that let you when you when you post a picture, that give you the option to put the settings that you use yeah. to take that picture. And I remember when, like, when that first started coming out, like I was sort of almost screenshotting the picture <laughs> and, and and the settings, and then sort of like getting to the base and going, okay, so that was the settings they used, sort of like dialing it in and going. No, that didn't work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that sort of thing is great. And I, I think, I mean, it kind of gives someone an idea of like, if you look at it, it goes, well, the shutter speed for a propeller plane is roughly this, or the shutter speed for a jet yeah, is roughly totally. this. That's a great starting point. But the reality is that it's, it. I mean, we could stand in exactly the same place, looking at exactly the same plane, and over the course of the day, those settings will be wildly different. Yeah, because yeah. everything revolves about the light you're using, the gear you're using, whether there's rain off in the distance. I mean, um, the, the hilarious, you know. the hilarious, uh, what is it, caveat or whatever it is, is the 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 video the guy standing behind us at React got of all of us in a line, <laughs> and we were all following that plane up, you know, up, and all the lenses were all in unison, just going mm. up. And I guarantee every single one of us had got a different setting on our camera. Yeah, yeah. Although yeah. we were taking the same picture of the same plane, we'd all got a different setting on our camera. And that's it. That's it, isn't it? Like it's it's difficult to teach someone who doesn't know that. I could tell you what settings I use, but they're going to be completely different to the settings you need that day because mm. the conditions will be different. Your lens and body combination is different to what I use. It yeah. might even be a different batch number of lens and body combination, which might mean it, it behaves in a different way to the way mine works. And you just <laughs> You can't, there's not a one size fits all answer to the question of what, what gear do you use or what settings do you use to get that photo? It's, it's years and years and years of iteration through, through different uh, lens and body combinations and learning that equipment yeah. inside out. There is nothing else that you can tell anyone. You can't, I, I mean, I, literally, whilst we've been recording this podcast, I've got a message here. Hey, mate. What are the main settings to get sharp and crisp photo? Thanks. Mm. It's like, 
I can't, uh, there is not an answer to that question. I mean, the answer is can, that the, the answer listen is to that podcast. It, yeah, <laughs> I mean, ultimately, each one of us, if we were to sit here and go through our settings, we would give all different settings, yeah. and that's yeah. just on a baseline. Yeah, you know, and that's without actually being at the fence to make that choice. And it's yeah. like, you know, we can we can always give a guide. You know, if anybody wants to send us a message and ask that question, we'll we'll obviously that's give it. an answer and give a guide. But it's it's always going to be with a caveat that it's always going to be different because your gear is going to be different to mine. You're going to be stood in a different position to mine. Even stuff like the fact that you're might be six inches taller than me makes a difference. Yeah, you know, well, and it's, I, it's I always caveat it with I'd start here. Yeah, yeah. Where you go after that. You, you'll figure it out. Mm. If you start here, and, and that's what I'll reply to this chap who's messaged me tonight, like start here um, for, for jets and start here for props and then play around with the settings and see what works for you. Yeah. And that's how you learn. And no one can give you the answer. It's You've got to learn the equipment. You've got to learn the skills, definitely. And that's a, a good way to end this podcast, I think, Anthony. I think... Um, I yeah. think... We are, yeah, well, I think we're coming to the end of uh, season two in terms of podcasts. We are going to do one more um, before season two, and then we're going to start going full throttle into season three, um, which will obviously begin with a new air show season, that sort of thing. We've got a lot of big ideas for that. Um, But what we want to do for the final podcast of uh, season two, which we've never done before, uh, we're going to do a Q&A session. So we are going to be posting up on the Instagram and on the Facebook very soon um, to give you guys somewhere that you can send us in questions for us. Um, We're going to get a group of us in. There might be three or four of us. There might be eight or nine of us. We haven't decided yet. Um, so it's going to be a, it should be good fun. So just send us your questions, whether it's what's your favorite photo, what's your favorite base to shoot at, what settings would you use to shoot a Spitfire going at 400 mile an hour, whatever, you know, <laughs> it, send us your questions. We'll answer them. And, you know, you'll get a different flavor from the different members that are on. Um, so just keep an eye out on the Facebook and we'll let everyone know there. The last thing to be said is where do we find everyone? Anthony, where can people find you? Uh, yeah. Um, so on Instagram, it's Anthony underscore Fogarty underscore aviation. Um, I'm not going to plug my YouTube because I fell out with them at the moment. So <laughs> we'll leave that as it is. <laughs> cool. And Tim? Uh, you can find me on the usual uh, social medias, Instagram and Facebook as R2B Photos. Um, so, yeah. Wonderful. And Mike? Yeah, just Instagram for me, and it'll be Mike Keatley Photography. Wonderful. And for me, you can find me at RS7 Aviation, and obviously you've got the group Instagram and Facebook, which is at Assemble. So all that's left to be said is thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed it. This has been a quite a long one. Um, hopefully it hasn't come across as just a bunch of guys sitting around talking shit. But <laughs> thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you at the fence. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ab Geeks Assemble podcast. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Ab Geeks Assemble.